I had a thought, and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to uh, speak on? And two thoughts came to mind. One was, maybe I should speak on honor. And uh, the other was, oh, maybe speak on uh, favor in the context of exile. And I decided for the latter, because I do, really do think that God is moving in a special way. Uh, before I get into that, though, uh, let me pray for us, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Then we'll look at this text, and I'll give you the rationale of why I chose this text and how this text would apply to our lives. Gracious and loving Father, we pray that you would open our eyes. Uh, we sang songs where um, we asked that you would open our eyes, so we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would be here with us, and I pray that you would give us spiritual discernment and spiritual eyes to see behind the physical, because we know that things which we see with our eyes and handle with our hands are temporary, but those things which are unseen are eternal. And that's where we want to be able to see. So we pray, Lord God, for Good News Church, not only for this time as we worship you, but in the next season that their vision would be sharper, that they would be able to see behind things, Lord God, uh, to see that you are moving in a powerful way and where you're moving and how you're moving. And we pray, Lord God, as we come before the preaching of your word, uh, that you would grant us illumination as well. So bless our time, encourage us, and fill us with more and more of you, your word, and your spirit, so that we would be truly spiritual people in the fullest sense. And we pray these things then in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So one of the things that I do, as uh, Pastor Sam mentioned, um, is I teach at a school, I do some ministry. Uh, but more than that, I think the way God has been using me is um, as a networker in the last season of my life. And because of that, I am able to meet a ton of people. Um, and I would say every week I meet someone new in ministry, and God gives favor into that context, and I become close to these people. And one of the great privileges of that is I'm able to see the terrain in New York City and to see what God is doing. And I could testify to you today that God is moving in New York like I've never seen before. So I've been here about 15 years. I've never seen people as excited for God as now and as open to God and as bold for God and so filled with faith. So I just want to encourage you that something is brewing um, in this city. Uh, something really remarkable is about to happen. And not just here. Um, also around the world, something is about to happen um, in Eastern Europe, and something is about to happen again in China, and something is about to happen in some of the least reached people groups like Turkey, and it's all going to happen not only within our lifetime, but I think within the next couple of years. We will see um, God pouring out His Spirit in a tremendous and remarkable way, and I could testify to that. I've seen it with my own eyes, I feel it in my heart, and as I talk to people, they are concurring. Uh, so the body of Christ, in many ways, they're saying the same thing, seeing the same thing, feeling the same thing, and energized and strengthened to do the same thing. And that is to follow Christ um, where he takes us. Now, why do I want to preach on this text? Well, I could have chosen a lot of different texts. And the reason why I want to preach on this text is because it's a post-exilic uh, book. That is to say, this book 
is describing events after um, the exile of the southern kingdom. Let me give you a little history here. Uh, the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, and the walls were breached in probably 587. Um, after that, uh, there were various contingents of people who came back to rebuild. And I would say there are three, perhaps four, historical books that are uh, post-exilic in the Bible. So you have Ezra, you have Nehemiah, you have Esther, and if we throw in Daniel as a historical book, we can say there are four. And I think the insight there is, you know, God called Israel to be a beacon of his light to the world. So God chose Israel because, of course, he loved Israel and his affections were upon Israel, but he also chose Israel so that Israel would be a blessing to the world. They were not supposed to hoard the knowledge of God or say, hey, you know, we're um, a choice people. Uh, no, they were a chosen people, not a choice people. And their uh, mandate was to bless the world. And we know that right from the book of Genesis. We read that again and again in the prophets. And we read it again in the New Testament. They missed the point. They were supposed to be a blessing to the world as a missionary nation or a regal people who were priestly to mediate God's blessing uh, because they missed that point. And they missed it by a wide margin because the dominant culture there built high places and they worshiped other gods and they became idolatrous. God warned them time and time again and sent prophets. It was to no avail. Their hearts were just too hard. And at one point, God said, even if someone like Moses and Samuel, perhaps and arguably the two greatest interceders, perhaps in the history of the world, even if they should intercede on, on behalf of Israel, God would not listen. Uh, there would be an exile. And indeed, there was an exile, 587. The first contingent that, that was taken was probably under the King Jehoiakim, and that's Daniel and his friends. And then um, you have Ezra and Nehemiah, and you have Esther. So they're all taken into exile, um, and yet we see the demonstration of the power of God. Because we said in the beginning that God had a plan. His plan was Israel, uh, for Israel to bless the world. God is so powerful that even if his chosen instrument the people of Israel fail to do this, no one's going to thwart the plan of God. So even in exile, what God is doing, he's going to bless the world. And I think there is a connection here because in many ways we can say that we are in exile as well. Um, and the reason why I think we can say that we are in exile because if we look at the world around us, especially urban centers like New York City, on the one hand, God is truly moving, as I testified in the introduction of my message, but it's less Christian than it was perhaps in the past. So in the past, there was a more robust Christianity. That Christianity has dwindled. It's rising again, but it's not where it ought to be. So in a sense, the church here feels like it is in exile. There's a lot of spiritual warfare and spiritual conflict, and you still need courage to do the things of God because the dominant culture may not agree with you. They might think you're a little kooky, uh, they might think, well, what is this person really doing? It doesn't make any sense. So there's this tension, this feeling inside of us that uh, it's difficult to be a believer. And I would say 
perhaps because uh, we are in exile. And uh, then that maps on nicely within this context. But yet, even if we are in exile, God is so powerful that his plans will never be thwarted at all. So God is going to continue his plan, and he's going to bless the nations. He's going to bless the urban centers. He's going to bless people because nothing can thwart the power of God. And we see that graphically. Uh, we see it in, in such a powerful way in these post-exilic letters. Um, and it is, I think, a paradigm shift. And I think one of the things that God is challenging us to do is to have a paradigm shift as we live in exile. So what is that paradigm shift? Well, consider this with me, okay? Consider that it's not a priest that is ultimately blessing the nations in those four books. It's not ultimately a contingent of the remnant that is saying, hey, let's do this and we're going to do this, although the remnant is there. But if you look at each of the books, God is using secular powers. So who does he use? He uses Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, gives favor to Daniel and his friends. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be in the annals of the saints. Yet God uses Nebuchadnezzar. Then who does God use next? He uses Cyrus. And who is Cyrus? He's the Persian king. Then who does he use after that? Well, he uses a guy named Xerxes. And after Xerxes, who does he use? He uses Artaxerxes. So if you think about this paradigm shift, God is so powerful and so in control that all the great kingdoms, all the great political powers, all these colossal figures are still part, very much part of the plan of God to bless the world. That's the paradigm shift. And I believe in this next season, we're going to see more and more of that. And not only are we going to see more and more of this, if indeed there is a paradigm shift within our hearts, we will be open to that. Not only will we be open to that, we will pray for that. And I believe that the next great wave of people turning to God is when God moves these political figures and these people of power in the world to bless the church whether they themselves are believers or not, whether they know what they're doing or not. Because in exile, that's what happens. And if it were just one book, I would say, well, maybe it's just a coincidence. If it were two books, I would scratch my head and say, hey, maybe there's a pattern. If it's in three books, it's like, this is definite. It's in four books. That same pattern emerges over and over again. And one of the reasons why God has given us scripture is so that we can understand these patterns and to see how God moves and how God works. And if it works in the book of um, Ezra and the book of Nehemiah and the book of Daniel and the book of Esther, then we see God's heart. We see what God is doing then. And we see what God can do now. 
to bless his church because there is a God who is not just the Lord of the church. He is the ruler of the world and the ruler of nations. And that's the paradigm shift. God is using people like Nebuchadnezzar, Artaxerxes, Xerxes, and Cyrus. And you don't hear too many sermons on them. But yet, at the same time, they were the key seminal figures that changed the history of Israel so that Israel could go back to rebuild, to bless their people, and ultimately bless the world through the birth of the Messiah, the very one that we uh, celebrate in this Advent season. So friends, in exile, I want you to know that when you look to the left and look to the right, there are many believers, no doubt. Uh, they're your brothers and sisters. They're your allies, and we ought to work with them. But if you look a little further beyond all the believers, then you have everyone else. God is Lord over them as well. Now, use your imaginations just for a little bit. What if a Cyrus emerged within our world theater? It would be amazing. The doors of revival will be flung open. You know, imagine Xerxes coming on stage and blessing the church. It would be absolutely amazing. And if our paradigm isn't shifted, we may not be able to see the hand of God. But if our eyes are tuned to Scripture and to what the Spirit of God is doing behind all the politicking, behind all the power plays, behind all the land grabs, behind all the other things that the world considers, behind that is a God who is sovereign, who passionately pursues his people, who is for his people and for the knowledge of God, covering the face of the earth as the waters do. And we see those things in this book. Now, within this context, um, I also want to underline something for the people of God, and this is where we come to our text, and that's a, a, a convenient segue because I forgot to read the text. Uh, so the text actually comes from um, Esther chapter 2, and we're going to read verses um, 8 and 9, and it's not very long, so let me just read it for us. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, Many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She, was, uh, she pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with the beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place of the harem. Now, why did I choose that text? Well, like I said before, I could have chosen many different texts, but I chose this text uh, because it really captures and underlines um, the favor of God and the sovereignty of God. So if you look at this text, um, we see this character by the name of Esther. And who is Esther? She is a uh, beautiful young woman. And if I fill out the context a little bit, um, King uh, Xerxes here um, wanted to show off the beauty of his queen, Queen Vashti. But Queen Vashti 
He says, I refuse to come out and be paraded around for some reason. Scripture doesn't give. And he loses face. So he talks to his counsel, and the counsel says, well, this is actually pretty bad. What you need to do, you need to dispose of the queen lest other women do the same thing, and there is rebellion that takes place. Um, So he says, that seems like a prudent thing to do. So he disposes of Queen Vashti, and then the counselors say, well, you need to have a new queen, so why don't we have a, um, a contest of all the beautiful people in your vast kingdom and pick one to be the new queen. And within that um, context, uh, Esther is chosen uh, because she's beautiful. And you can imagine uh, there were tons and tons of young, beautiful women, but at the same time, if you look at this text, um, Esther finds favor. She finds favor in the context of exile. And that favor is great because this guy, Haggai, presumably uh, one of the eunuchs of the king, uh, has a heart for Esther and gives her arguably the best attendance. And not just the best attendance, puts her in the best place of the hair, maybe even gets some face time uh, with the king. So if you look at this, it seems like all coincidental But it really is the favor of God in a desperate time um, to save the people of God and, by implication, to bless the world. Now, at this point, Esther has no clue what Satan is about to do. What Satan is about to do is to use this guy Haman to have a pogrom to destroy all the Jews in this world. I mean, if you think about that, it, it reminds you of the, the Exodus when Moses was born with a massacre, massacre of children. Or it reminds you of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ where there's a massacre, massacre again of children. There's going to be even a greater massacre here in the low point of Israel's history. And Esther doesn't know that. And we know it's deeply spiritual because Haman comes from a line of people called the Agagites. And the Agagites is another word for the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are the traditional foes that tried to destroy the people of God as they came out of Egypt. So there is that connection. So there's this deep spiritual lineage. Or we can say it's the seed of the serpent and the seed of the sun. And it's a seed of the serpent that tries to eradicate the people of God in the book of Esther. And therefore, it really is spiritual warfare. And as Jesus says, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And this book is about the destruction of the people of Israel if Haman could have it his way. And Haman doesn't know this. There is favor to one young woman by the name of Esther. Favor, my friends, favor. Now, think about that word, favor. What does God give Zerubbabel and Ezra as they go to rebuild the temple? Favor. What does God give Nehemiah as he wants to go and rebuild the walls. Favor. 
How about before them, Daniel, the first contingent, the 600s that go to Babylon? They don't want to eat the king's food because they are the remnant of the remnant and they are faithful. The text says that God gave favor. Now, Esther, there's favor. Friends, if this is not part of your theological worldview, then you're missing out on something huge. And what you're missing out on is in exile, there is always the favor of God. God gives favor to his people. So if you think about it, sometimes God elevates you in the world. And sometimes um, you're able to do things that other people can't do. And there's a boon in your life and you have no idea why you and not somebody else. It's favor. And I mean, I've been meeting so many people um, in New York City and some of them are really just great at what they do. But the truth of the matter is it's, they're not there because they're great. They're ultimately there because of God's favor. Because God's favor is intended to bless the church and to bless the world. So I want us to have eyes that are just really open to the fact that God can give favor even in exile. And like I said, if it were just one time, you can't really make a theology out of it. But it happens in every post-exilic book. God gives favor. Maybe God is saying, hey, you know, I know life in exile is difficult. I know, in a sense, if we change the imagery, going through the wilderness is not easy. But I want you to know that there will be favor. Now, consider the extent of this favor, okay? Um, Nehemiah has so much favor that he is the cupbearer to the king. That is Serious favor. Ezra and Zerubbabel are giving serious favor, and if scholars are right, and I believe that they are on this one, uh, half the times they're probably wrong, but they're right on this one, I think um, Ezra had so much favor that he became one of the um, diplomats uh, for um, the Israelites, and hence he was a bivocational priest that went back um, to Israel um, to rebuild the temple. Uh, so we see favor in his life as well. And when we see Daniel, he becomes one of the highest officials of arguably the most powerful kingdom on earth. How is that possible? An exile boy getting that high up. It's God's favor. And how about Esther? She becomes the queen. That's, this is serious favor. And therefore, I think we need to have within our, say again, our theological worldview that God's favor can be so absolutely amazing that there'll be Christians in the highest seat of power to bless the church and to bless the world. And this is a pattern that actually emerges all throughout Scripture. Uh, we see this in the Joseph narrative also, um, a boy who was sold into slavery becoming the prime minister of, of Egypt. It is the favor of God, 
And I want you to know, because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God's favor is upon all of you as well. And they will be favoring your life. And I pray that we'd be uh, able to see it and to embrace it, to praise God for it, to thank God for it. And it comes to my final point. And that final point is to be courageous. Okay? So with favor comes a call uh, to be courageous. So in exile, uh, courage is absolutely necessary. And I pray that Good News Church uh, would be that uh, elite um, special ops congregation that is filled with amazing, amazing courage because that's when blessings really flow. Without that courage, it's just self-centeredness and that favor, uh, because God is good, will bless you and that's it. But if we take that favor and we take that next step, which is courage, to bless people and to bless the world and to bless the church, then the floodgates open and there is something massive that will take place. Why? Because that's the pattern. So let's consider this pattern just for a moment, okay? Um, Ezra, Zerubbabel, um, do they need courage? Absolutely. Um, in fact, um, when Ezra and Zerubbabel left from the Persian Empire that took over the, the Babylonians, and they marched to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, um, they were given an armed escort because there were a lot of foes that would destroy them. They refused that armed escort because they believed that God would protect them. It's insane, but that's exactly what happened. And not only that, there were these foes, and they were uh, surrounding um, the Israelites to destroy them, and yet because of their courage, uh, they worshiped the Lord. They celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles um, and let themselves be open um, to attacks. There was no wall. Uh, there wasn't even uh, the semblance of a citadel temple where they can hide. They had nothing, and yet they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which was labor-intensive. And if there was an attack, they would be completely destroyed. Why did they start with worship? Because they knew that the reason why um, Israel went into exile was because of their lack of devotion and their worship to God. And they saw the spiritual reality behind the physical, and they didn't want to make that mistake again. And hence, they worshiped the Lord and built an altar and celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. But what did that require? It required great courage. Now, I don't want to paint a rosy picture because uh, the temple was halted for 14 years. Um, and it took two prophets to encourage the people, to galvanize the people, to rebuild again. But even in that rebuilding, it took courage. Um, and the very fact that they halted for 14 years shows how difficult it is, even with God's favor, to take that step of faith because the fears are real, the dangers are real, uh, the consequences are real, and yet God wants us, oops, it's okay, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have notes there, uh, <laughs> God wants us to take that step uh, to be courageous. Uh, we see it there. We see it in Nehemiah. Uh, one of the things that we see in Nehemiah repeatedly is all of these conflicts, conflicts within, conflicts without. And Nehemiah is a man hard as flint because he's courageous. And no matter what the enemy throws at him, 
He's filled with courage and the favor that God has given to them. He becomes this conduit through his courage to bless his people. And we see the same thing with Daniel. Consequences are real. He's thrown into the lion's den. He's thrown into the furnace. And yet he is unwavering in his courage. And we see the same thing in this narrative with Esther. Uh, She approaches the king and Um, According to the customs there, you're not supposed to do that. She might die. And she says, if I die, I die. But this is something that I need to do. So she has courage in her heart and she goes. And wins the favor of the king. And protects her people so that the people of God can arm themselves when uh, the line and the people who are aligned uh, with Haman go to attack and kill the Jews all over uh, the world. But once again, it took great courage. Now, it, all of this really does culminate and point forward, um, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and the success that we can have is because Jesus does it all through his perfect life. Um, so he is the one in whom God's favor rests, and he is the one in whom uh, there is incredible courage uh, to the point of planting his knees in the soil of Gethsemane and praying three times, if it's possible, take this cup from me, yet drinking deeply the cup of the wrath of God and that wrath falling upon him so that he can bless his people in exile and by his spirit give us the strength to rise up as a courageous people. And this is precisely why it says in the book of Revelation that cowards will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because if we are living in in the context of warfare, the worst characteristic to have, the worst thing the person next to you can be characterized by is cowardice. And that's why cowards will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to see his favor, ask for that favor, receive that favor, and pass that favor along through our courage. So my message actually today is pretty simple. Uh, My message today is I think God is going to do something amazing, so don't be surprised at the favor that God gives to your life. It's going to come to some of us. And it's God's inscrutable will. uh, Why it comes to some and it doesn't come to others. Um, Well, let me rephrase that. There is favor for all of us because we're in Christ, but there will be elevation for some of us that is higher than others. And that's God's unscrutable, uh, inscrutable um, knowledge. And at that point, what do we need? We need courage. Because that opens the floodgates of blessing to people. The courage of Daniel blessed his people. Uh, the courage of Esther blessed her people. The courage of Nehemiah, Ezra, Zubrel, all bless their people. Uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, as New Testament Christians now, who have the Spirit of God, to do two things, three things. Uh, pray for God's favor upon your life. <clears throat> uh, pray for God's favor. Um, That is a biblical prayer. Uh, Nehemiah prays for God's favor. 
Uh, Lord, give me favor as I go to the king. Ask for favor. But here's where it takes maturity, not simply for yourself. For the sake of the people of God. Right? If, if we don't take that extra step, we're basically saying, God bless me so I can have a better life and get promoted. And uh, I mean, that's not necessarily bad uh, because God wants us to all flourish. Uh, but at the same time, uh, God gives favor in this biblical pattern uh, so that the people of God will flourish. Uh, but mark my words, um, when that favor is given, there will be a time where God requires and challenges you to be a man or a woman of courage. And that's going to be the challenge. And when we step in that direction, there will be great blessing. And we can see that very clearly in the New Testament. Just read the book of Acts. Everyone there uh, really took a step of faith based upon favor and they turned the world upside down so good news church thank you for uh, allowing me to share i think we're living in a very exciting season so three things right uh, pray for favor upon your life pray that you would be able to discern that favor and ask for the filling of the spirit so that you can be courageous so that you can be a blessing in our world so uh, why don't we just do this for a couple of moments uh, maybe Dan or someone can come up and play a little bit of music in the background and we can spend just a couple of minutes uh, just reflecting and praying and uh, let's pray for those three things let's pray that Lord uh, grant us favor. We're not there yet, right? Uh, hence, we're in exile. or We're in the wilderness. We're not there yet. This is not our ultimate home. Um, we are living in exile. Lord, grant us favor. So consider where you need favor. It might be the workplace. Uh, it might be a relationship. Uh, maybe God is putting someone else um, in your heart and they desperately need the favor of God pray for them then right because as you're in community we um, carry one another's burdens um, Lord give so-and-so favor hear my cry give me favor and who of who of us in New York uh, doesn't need the favor of God but you know what? Jesus is our jubilee. Um, he cancels debts and blesses. So there is favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor in Christ. That favor has been purchased by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. May favor be upon you. Just pray for that for a couple of minutes. Well, maybe a minute. And I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to ask God to release favor upon um, Good News Church.